Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel. Standing here at the reloading bench with Steve Hollenbeck. Steve's reloading bench. Yeah. I'm a little embarrassed to say I'm not reloading my own ammo this time. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, closing up in on cheap season here. A little bit over a week till the opener. That's it. And, uh, yeah, just getting a little more, a few more bullets. You never know how many you're going to need. Hopefully only one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, although I made the mistake of taking what, like eight bullets that one time oh, and yeah. burn, burned five of them in a hurry. <laughs> that was not a good day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you didn't check your, uh, off the list. Yeah. I think that was what was in the side of the pouch of the rifle case, wasn't it? I think that so. that the 25-06? Yeah, it was my 25-06. <laughs> Did end up killing that ram a couple days later, mm-hmm. but she was getting close. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, loading this. The reason Steve's loading my ammo, it's uh, this rifle he built me, is a uh, custom custom on a Remington 700 action um, in the caliber. It's basically called a 27 O'Connor. It's a... 280 Ackley improved neck down to 270 and uh, just an awesome sweet shooting rifle and uh, Steve has the obviously you can't just order dies for that nitty. <laughs> no I can't just order dies I I kind of rig up a, uh, a Redding die set um, I had to cut this this uh, um, piece here for the inline seating uh, the sleeve s- the sleeve yeah you know, I cut that from um, the actual chamber reamer, and I basically copied Redding's pattern, and yeah. it works just, ex- I mean, exactly to the T on theirs. So I have this for a 6.5 in addition to the 27. Um, I haven't built any other calibers, but it's 6.5 and the 27. So my idea was naming these after outdoor writers of the past and i figured the 270 caliber jack o'connor would be a fitting for the 27 yeah so. and they said that he uh kind of like and i remember thinking like something that you could envision him shooting i mean that's taking a little liberty but still yes he was a big fan of the 270 and i'd heard that the last rifle he had ordered and i think he passed away before he got it was a was a 280 improved but Right in that class, and I could be completely, completely off in in my my facts there, so don't take my word for it. But uh, yeah, I talked to uh, the Jack O'Connor Heritage Center in Idaho, down at the Wild Sheep, a few years ago, and kind of explained what I was doing with this, and showed him a few pictures that had been taken with this cartridge. I think there's been at least a half a dozen Rams taken with this. Yeah. And it was when you ordered the the chamber reamer. I think that was the first one ever. that they had ever made right. for that. They've done the six fives before, but they just call it a six five two eighty improved. Nobody ever put a name to it, and I have yet to n- name the six five yet. I don't know what you know. Again, it will be an outdoor writer. I just don't know which which it is. So um, I named the thirty three the thirty three Hagel after Bob Hagel. Yeah. Um, the six five ain't gonna be named after me. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a lot older for it to be named after you. Yep. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a sweet shooting rifle, and I'm excited. It's been having to sit out sheep season for a couple of years, so I'm excited to get it back out, especially yeah. with this and this toke tag. It makes it really cool that you are using that in 
in that hunt. So yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's uh it's my favorite sheep rifle. My twenty five out six will always have a special place in my heart, but that might also mean the safe too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I what I I put a stock on that for you, didn't I? Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and I've killed I killed a couple, I think, after oh, yeah. with it yeah, after you put that stock. That, in on fact there. that was uh one of the ones that we had to have your ammo. That was uh I think that second year. Yep. Because in that 2010, was... you finished it, and you got that up in uh, the Alaska range, yeah. and I wasn't with you on that hunt. Yep, that's right. Then it was, then in 2011, I used it again, and it was, 20, it was 12 that, yep. I, mm-hmm. that I had that fiasco. Yep, but anyway, that was, uh, so I'm glad you are using this uh, 27 this year, and that'll be cool if... Uh, a big old ram is taken with this one with you. I sure so. hope so, man. I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I was, I was telling you earlier, been, you know, been getting a lot of questions, and you just see a lot of talk this time of year on sheep hunting, sheep hunting gear and, and stuff oh, like yeah. it's, trophy I mean, prep. So, you know, we'll probably get off on a bunch of rabbit trails on that. But, uh, and it's kind of one of those things like where do you even start on gear? But, uh, I, you know, for me on, on that, and it is when you're, when you're buying gear, obviously I think the most important, in my opinion, you know, you got to have the survival gear, the good, good tent, good sleeping bag. Um, you can have the best glass and the best rifle, but if you're shivering or you're, you know, you know, just very uncomfortable, no matter what you have else, it's going to be a miserable hunt and your head will not be in the game. Yeah. So, you know, when everybody asks me, hey, where do you, you know, glass, what, I always ask them, well, what kind of sleeping bag, what kind of uh, tent are you running first? Just simply because I've seen lots of hunts on Kodiak, an example, yeah. or the peninsula. These guys spend all this money on, on stuff that it's great, but they failed on the, the basic things of good survival yeah. equipment. And I think that's, you know, throughout the whole gear spectrum, I think that's a lot of things. Like you've seen guys that spend $5,000 on a rifle and then are lacking in something else or, you know, end yep. up dumping two boxes. You hear them dumping two boxes of shells. Oh, yeah. You know. You've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that that stuff definitely is critical. It reminds me that in 2013 when we were hunting in there, and I think we were from the time we left, we and normally we were done in like within and mm-hmm. back within a week, mm-hmm. and but we planned for 14 days, and we for, were on the 14th day. I arrived at the 13th day at yeah. 11 at night. You guys were in about. Three hours after me. Yeah. Steve On got the 14th the, day. Yeah, because Steve had taken the raft. Yeah, raft and all four but, rams uh, down. Like, yeah, we left with seven day, about seven days of food. I still remember splitting up. I think you had the last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and, had to, or you, and you had to run at one point. You had to run down the canyon to meet up with Gary because he shot his ram early. Yep. And then he'd kill the caribou. And got he had to run down there and get some meat for us yep, to that's, eat. That's right. And... uh you know, hindsight, we, we shot our rams that next day, and we had all kinds, yeah. but I think having that subsistence helped out uh, on that hunt, because what we, we did, 
we did, I think we did 60 miles the last four days. Yeah. Tim and I, cause we, you know, Tim and you and Gary split off and Tim and I went another route and we figured up, we had, Tim and I, by the end had walked 110 miles. Yeah. And we were a little less than that. And then obviously I was less cause I floated down the river, but I think I did, I logged 82 miles yeah. on that hunt. The year before, or the next year, in 14, I had logged 128 Yeah, in that same area. But, um, yeah, that, you know. And again, I think at the beginning of that 2013 hunt, having good equipment allowed us to stay in there like yeah, we did. I, mean, I think so, too. And, and I guess, you know, looking back... I don't know, you could say some of my, like my sleeping bag was borderlined. It was one of the older Kafaru slick bags. And it was before, which is very important to note, they, um, I think it was a year or two after that, they transitioned, they began having them like officially rated. Mm -hmm. they, and they're a 20 degree bag now is a 20 degree bag. Right. And the one at the time, I don't know how cold it was. It was a, it we was got a lot of snow and a lot 20, of rain. 20 degree bag and it was a lot of those nights getting down to 20 or 15 which is cold on a sheep hunt yeah I mean, you August. do get some snow and whatnot but it you usually can get away from those super cold yeah i think if i if i'd had the bag the slick the newer slick bag that i have now i would have been a lot better off mm -hmm. i just remember being curled up in the bottom of that thing shivering all, <laughs> all night it was that's yep. the, still the coldest wettest sheep hunt i've ever been on but it was very successful. I mean, yeah. in, in fact, that was the last really good year we had in there, which is kind of sad, but Mother Nature takes its course and uh, does them in for a bit and resets the clock. And, you know, so we're hoping that, you know, eventually it's going to turn around, which I think it will. But uh, um, in that particular area, I should say that's the last good year I've had. So, um but yeah, gear, you know, good, good, good gear as far as uh, survivability. When I say that, I meant, I mean, sleeping bag, bed roll, tent. Yeah. Those, those things there. And I, and I've, I know quite a few guys that have gone the, the, the ultralight TP route. I don't know if I'm there yet. Yeah. I, my thing on that is I just don't know if it's a proven wind design. Yeah. Um, I've. I, I know it, it makes a difference as far as I'm concerned, but I like a floor in mine too. You know, you set your tent up and it's super nasty out and you don't have a floor. I, you know, maybe it's just getting past um, stuff we're used to. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that run those and with heaters in them and, you know, I own them. Yeah. But I, I just haven't, you know, some of the places we hunt, you know, above the Arctic Circle there, that far north, the wood supply is slim to none. Yeah. So to try to gather stuff up, I just I, I just don't think that that's where it's at. And I know that a good sleeping bag and a good tent, you know, you can be comfortable in a lot of stuff. And I, and I have, you know, I have been comfortable in a lot of nasty, yeah. nasty weather. And I guess my, my hold back with some... And having a stove and burnable wood would change things. Right. But for the type of stuff we do, um, a lot of the just straight teepee floorless stuff, 
I don't want to put, I don't want to find what the limit is. Right. <laughs> and there's been some hunts, you know, a couple of years ago, we got a foot of snow on August 10th, yep. you know, literally and, spent all day, had to stay in the tent, beating snow off the tent. And you know, you can see what the limits are. You can do that when you have mechanized transportation, not where I'm depending on an airplane because yeah. if my gear did fail or an issue like that, it's failing because of most likely mother nature, weather, whatnot, which means my airplane is not going to be coming in. And, you know, so I always take that in consideration. If it's a fly-in hunt, I am going to use things that I know for a fact have been proven to me. Yeah. And and that's on, on gear prep, on gear recommendations. That's my first thing is that there. My next thing probably would be, well, obviously your, your rifle is going to be, you know, it just because you have good glass and you don't have a good rifle or a one that's not reliable or functions right, we you're on just an expensive uh, day hike. Yeah, if you and I think and and I don't think we want to have that construed to mean that you have to have a super expensive rifle. Oh, not at all. Um, uh, what but, I mean, but on having that. one that shoots well and is reliable. Yep my is, my my four things on on rifles. It's just, it's just mine is, you know, guns that I put together and whatnot is, um, all four are equal to me. So a reliability, functionability, accuracy, and looks. I want a mm-hmm. rifle that looks good. I want a rifle that shoots well, but the other two are a lot of times overlooked. You know, I, you know, there's a lot of companies out there and you'll hear them all the time. Oh, this, the so-and-so rifle shoots just awesome. But I picked the thing up. There's so many plastic parts and so many things that in, you know, super cold temperatures, plastic uh, trigger guards, they just are not going to stand up to abuse either uh, purposely or, you know, by accident, which yeah. a lot of times in the back country, I don't, there's most people uh, don't abuse their stuff on purpose, but um, so... Yeah, shit just happens to it sometimes. Yeah, exactly right. So, and so I think a rifle is, you know, those four things, if you have that. And the looks thing is, you know, the eye of the beholder. So, but um, then I probably would say optics would be my, would be real close to a rifle. Yeah. Only because if, you know... If your spot and scope goes down, you might as well pack it up and go home, on basically. A sh- on a sheep hunt, on, you know, especially legality, looking, you know, if you're really on the borderline of, yeah. you know, wanting to shoot, you know, a legal ram, which I think both you and I are past that uh, as far as in our, uh, in our sheep hunting career, if you will, um, just borderline rams. Yeah. And there's a lot of, and, you know, it takes it takes skill to be able to, uh, age judge, uh, curl judge, a a legal ram in the state of Alaska, and then for the most most part, any Northwest Territory, same same thing. Yeah. So optics are, and it's you know it seems like when they, you don't see in my experience anyway, and it could just be where I've hunted, you don't see a lot of rams that from two miles away you're like, yep, he's good. Right. You know, anything in that borderline, I don't know, my experience, I like to be under a thousand yards from them Mm -hmm. to make that call. And it also depends on your light conditions and glassing conditions. There's sometimes where your mirage is so bad, you just can't, can't tell. Correct. But yeah, I mean, 
when they are 2,000 yards away and 2,000 plus, and he's looks big, you got a gooder, good one. Well, which <laughs> is like the last time we saw Houdini. Correct. On that hunt in 13. 13. Yep. From. I had him. It was it was about two. You could you had a lot. You had already had a lot better look at yeah, him. Seven hundred yards is where I, my final time of seeing that ram was at was seven hundred yards, and and then I when, watched him for. I mean, I couldn't get across the creek. There was nothing else I could do. Yeah. So, and uh, well, know. and then when we saw him the last night when we killed all the rams, and I ended up killing his little buddy because he disappeared on us. Right. Um, they were pushing two miles up that drainage, and I just remember one look had this the, on a straight on look in the spotter, and you knew he was a huge ram. Yep. And that's, I think you were you were on your you'd already broken off from Tim and I on that. No, I was going up with you guys. No, yeah, we're, I knew that. I just because I left the spotter with you guys. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because right. I figured, well, I get in range of this guy. There's not going to be a question. I didn't even look at the other two and. By the time I had worked into range and they had bedded down, he was gone. He That's wasn't, right. you know, he had apparently turned around and gone the other way. Smart old bugger. And there was no no way to get to him. And the last night we'd be able to hunt and make it out. And mm-hmm. so with my binos, I was able to make a good call on the his yep. buddy, which was a 36-inch ram. Right. Yeah, and he was, you know, had good curl above his nose on that one. But that but, is a optics, like I said, I... I'm saying would be a close, you know, third on. And it and it's kind of a cliche thing to get, you know, say I get the best optics you can afford, but it's it's true. I mean, I started out oh, it's almost embarrassing with just junk stuff and it worked. You can do it, but you have to get a lot closer and conditions have to be better. You just don't want to look through your buddies. Yeah, that's always that's, the rule. That's true. Don't look at your buddies, you know, more expensive <laughs> stuff, and you'll be happy. Yeah. As soon as you look at your buddy's stuff, you're going to be buying optics. Yep. And that's, that's I've been, you know, buy, uh, buy nice or buy twice. <laughs> so. Yeah. What uh, what spotting scope and binos have you been using the past few years? Um, Well, I've... Got a, a Swaro is, you know, my, my go-to uh, on binos. I don't have any other binos than I got four, five pairs of Swaros uh, from the small 1032s, 1042s, 1250s. All those are the ELs, uh, a pair of 1556 SLCs, and uh, an older set of 1042 uh, ELs. Yeah. And I... You know, I, I love them. I, there's no denying they're great, oh, yeah. great and, glass. You know, other guys, they're, you know, hardcore Leica fans. And it's a Ford, Chevy, Dodge deal. Yeah. And that's what it comes With down the big, to. With the big three. Yes. You know? And, uh, um, but one scope that I've been using that is a hard one to beat, and it's in a class of its own, is the new uh, Koa. Yeah. It's they're small. K-O-W-A. Yep. And they're, they are second and there's no other company right now that's producing a that quality of optic in that small of package yeah yeah you were just showing me that thing's yes small and light tops out at 45 which i prefer to have 60 I do too. you know but if it's a really good clear optic you can it, get by with 45 and how i determined i bought that it's it's a what i consider a straight up solo hunt where maybe i've done all my scouting prior to 
with um, my big scope where I'm not carrying a big rifle and all my mm-hmm. hunting gear that I would on a when I have a legal tag in my pocket. Um, and I'm going by myself. Maybe I've seen some rams and I know generally, you know, they're right back in here. And I'm using that to verify, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Not so much, you know, down to the trophy quality because I've already done that. But um, it's still, I, I used it last year on a uh, Sitka blacktail and a blacktail hunt on Kodiak it's along with a goat hunt on Kodiak. And it, I didn't bring another scope with me. It worked really, really good. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of. And I cut of... down I, with, with a tripod that I started using, a really small a carbon fiber tripod. And that scope, I, I was almost two pounds lighter. And wow. I transitioned that to the, my food. That yeah. allows me to stay out two more days in the field, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. I oh, mean, yeah. like this hunt we were just talking about, you had seven days of food, but we ended up being out there for 14. Yeah. It would have been nice to have those two extra days. Oh, yeah. So that's how I that's how I justify that. Yeah. And it's intriguing because Kawa's been, or however you pronounce it, has been, or Koa has mm-hmm. been, I don't know, I'd say kind of a sleeper in this realm. Hunting realm. I knew him from... Uh, years ago when I spent years shooting service rifle, that's what everybody mm-hmm. had I don't for under, their... I never understood why... I mean, they're good optics. I just yeah. didn't know why that crowd went to that. Yeah. And then the other thing is the birding community. That's yeah. their big one. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, is, that makes sense. And uh, their top-end scope, their their uh, 88 millimeter, it's, as far as I'm concerned... Uh, the optical quality is as good or better than yeah. the big three. The thing about the big three that have it, especially Swaro for me, is the hunter. There's a lot of hunter things, rubber armored. I like where the adjustment knobs are at. That's personal preference, and you'd get used to that no matter what. Yeah. But, you know, and I'm a straight uh, uh, spotting scope. Not an angled. Yeah. Or, you know, there's some guys that only want angled. Yeah. I, li- I like straight myself. I think, you know, for a couple of reasons. I did the, after my initial, like, super cheap scope, um, the net, when I upgraded a little bit, it was a little bit better angled one. And it was always, A, harder for me to get on stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you're, on top of a ridge or peeking over some terrain, you yep. have to get that much higher yep. to, uh, you know, you expose more of your silhouette yep. skyline in yourself um, just to look through the scope. And, and those those are the exact same reasons why I like a straight. Yeah. The other things that some folks don't ever think about is they're more slimline fitting into your backpack. Yeah. They, they go in and out of my sleeve and my backpack sleeve a lot easier. And then the other one is when it, when it is raining... I'm not my the the object the ocular lens is not getting soaking wet. Yeah, I mean it's the others are partially hidden from that. You know, yeah. unless it's you know sleeting rain versus mm-hmm. blowing sideways. But um, the big one is when you're approaching the top of a peak and you're trying to peek over. I can just slide my straight over and still with a with the other you. Yeah, just have the top do, half of your head exposed. Right. You got to do some funky things with uh, adjustment knob on the side to where some of the scopes they don't even have those, but um, you got to turn them, you yeah, know, and kind of look at them at a different angle. So, but other guys say that the the angles are a lot easier when you're looking from, say, a creek bed up 
onto the mountains. And they that probably I could see is that. right. Yeah. But I, I take you can't take both with you and I just find it more, you know, easier for me yeah. to like that kind of comes down to just personal, personal preference. preference. That's correct. And what you're used to. So um again, you know, then as far as gear wise, next um boots for sure boots and clo- you know clothing but boots is that can that can turn a oh. every good everything into a really bad deal yeah and Poor i mean boots and, and, and good boots are expensive but and there's not like you can say any one brand like correct. i low has fit me really well mm-hmm. and uh you know i hardly ever get blisters with them or some other stuff like the Kenner tracks didn't fit me very as near as well, and that's what I ran for years and years is is Kenner track. And then I went to a Loa. I'm back to a Kenner track, and this year I've got a company called uh, Salawa, Salawa, I think Salawa. Yeah, is that how it's said? And um, I wanted a lighter, faster, if you will, boot. But the problem with it with those kind of boots is you don't get a super stiff sole. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these ones that are, they're, they're lightweight, but the sole is just, you can flex that thing. Yeah. Where this model boot that I got, it was, you know, and I really like it. And uh, my girlfriend, I, you know, had her try them on and she got drawn for a Primo permit this year. So she got the same boots that I'm running now and she, she likes hers quite a bit. So. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and kind of, a, you know, like a lot of the stuff, the particular ones you pick are, are definitely what fits you and mm-hmm. whatnot and what you're using them for you know like a lot of guys love those coflax mm-hmm. the plastic boots and i could see why in a lot of terrain you know if you're hunting super steep stuff and you're not having to walk a long long ways but i could see them being uncomfortable right if you, you're you got to have walking a balance. 20 miles of river bottom right a balance of the i don't want to i mean walking 20 miles of river bottom if i could have two pairs of boots i'd have a an easy sole that is just, yeah. you know, gives me good ankle support, but flexes really well. Yeah. Because I can really move on flat ground And then that put way. on the stiff ones for Correct. climbing. <laughs> but we don't have that luxury in our backpacks of piling all that stuff on there. There's five days of food. That's what yeah. these big boots weigh, you know, about five pounds total. Yeah. So you can't do that. So you try to compromise on that. And I... I like them, and I'll see how they go. I'm I'm heading out Saturday for my hunt, so I'll be in the in the Northern Brooks Range for about almost three weeks, two and a half weeks. Yeah. So I'll see how they go. I may come back, and they may go in the pile of boots. That it'd be, there's a lot of buddies in there. The yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's it's hard to say. I do have my go-to. My I, the Kenetrek hard scrabbles have always been a good boot for me. The Loa Bighorns. Yeah. Those have been See, a good I, boot. I have ended up, I prefer the Tibets, those Tibet GTXs. Mm-hmm. I wore just tra- ended up trashing one pair. I mean, several sheep hunts and a couple goat hunts. Yeah, I then, only I only get about two years yeah. out of a set of and boots. I and being being a little bit heftier guy, I, I just wear boots out faster than some guys. But uh then I I have a set of those big horns. I took them on a sheep hunt and I took them on a goat hunt that goat hunt this spring and they did just fine although i uh i got and i think it was a rock cut in my sole i was noticing that my instep there was a cut all the way through the sole almost you know completely through 
And of course, panicked initially, thinking my soul was splitting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kept an eye on it. The rest, it was just, I think, a rock cut, and kept an eye on it. And uh, it didn't get any bigger. I think after the goat hunt, it's gotten a little bit bigger. But uh, I don't know. I've settled on. I think the the Tibets are, are what I so what my, I really like. So my brother's shoe goo uh, fix yeah. wouldn't have worked on that one. <laughs> oh, maybe not. I thought about dumping some epoxy in there. Or, you know. I don't know. I just get paranoid when something like that yeah. happens, obviously. Yeah, when you're in, you know, again, you're... Because they're, you know... Your airplane is... I've never had it on, on a good pair of boots, you know, equi- you know, you do get what you pay for mm-hmm. on more expensive um, quality boots. I have seen pictures from guys that take the old Walmart boots out there and they're splitting in half and soles falling off, like, in a day. Right. I mean, even for me, uh, I get... I get two seasons max out of a, even a you know four hundred and fifty dollar pair of boots. Yeah, that's all I get out of them. Yeah, my and my Tibets this year will be the last one. Yeah, I was looking at them and have looked them over very carefully and was going to get a new set this spring, but I I think they're I'm pretty confident they're going to be just fine for yeah, another it's just year. The sharp rocks. I mean, it's yeah. like you know walking in a, a field of razor blades. You know, yeah. not at that sharp, of course, but it, you know, that shale can or cut you. Or you get into the, the almost volcanic-y Oh, yeah, that's stuff the, that just, the souls just eats come your apart. souls apart. Right. To- but, uh, you know, the, the shale just does the uppers in, and, you know, some of the ones with the rubber just, you know, rolls up onto the toe there. They, you know, I like that on a pair of boots, but that that can take a no- toll on them, too, is just... Hey, that's what that's what's happening in my boots there. They just yeah. that's starting to and the soles. That's yeah. the other thing. The soles are, you know, I'm using them. My Loas is my, you know, it's probably my backup pair. Yeah, at, that I can leave back at the strip. Yeah, and uh, and run these other ones and see how they are. And I'm, I've been using them at work every day, walking, you know, to and from just normal break in period, which I think is the best way to break in your boots is just wear them every day. Yeah, you know, out and around. Yeah, and that uh, and it's interesting. And a guy was showing me the other day. You know, some of his he uses Kenetrex now, but it, his older sheep hunting boots, and I can't remember what brand they were, but they were all leather and just built tougher. Because he said he probably had ten sheep hunts on those boots, and he's a little you know a little guy. Yeah, but we're still in pretty good shape. And I don't know how much of it is a matter, but they were heavy, heavy, heavy. Right. Um. The you know any modern boot like I want that rubber rand on there. That's kind of your sacrificial barrier. It is. And they can put that on there if you send them back. But again, I I have actually never sent a pair of boots back because I you know when you look at the entire boots, like where do they begin to start? Is it they're going to fix the boot itself or the sole or yeah. they both need it? Yeah. And I'm probably at the point to where it's just time for new. And that's when you know I about 45 days a year I'm in the backcountry hunting. Yeah. So I think that's 45 days of walking around and, and hard stuff. So that's yeah. just part of the price of. And so much of that gear, you just you just can't, I can't let myself take the chance that this might right. be the trip it, it fails, fails on. on. Right. And that's just being prudent and, you know, making sure that you're smart about your gear. So I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't take chances on that. Especially, yeah. Especially when I'm depending on an airplane to get me to and from. 
Yeah, that's you, you're, my... you're completely have to be self-sufficient yes. at that point. Uh, you, you do. And I, you know, that's definitely where I, I'm, I make that my test. If it's, you know, if it's an airplane ride in, I make sure my stuff is stuff I've tested in the past and it's going to work and stuff that's questionable gets left at home and I get something different. Yeah. So, and, uh, then I would probably say my next, obviously clothing I think is right in there with boots. So I wouldn't go over that, but, um, just your, your meat care and trophy care would be probably a next. What do you think? Yeah, it's right up there and it's hard to, I guess, rank a lot of the stuff. I guess I would say, you know, on clothing, I've certainly, certainly changed what I use over the years and, and it's, and, you know, it's kind of the stereotypical debate of, and I've, you know, I don't know, just lost my train of thought on what I was trying to say, but, you know, I definitely am not of the mentality that you have to have this, this, and this as far, you know, brand and stuff. Cause I started out with what I could afford and, and made mm-hmm. it work, but right. you can. Very uh, true. And, and, but you can get good mountain hunting clothing. There's a lot of ways to do it. You know, you can oh, yep. hit sale, bin, you know, sale bins at stores and whatnot, especially if you don't care if you're matching uh, and get, get clothing that's just fine. So I guess any of my, my clothing is more generic ideas than mm-hmm. any specific brands um you know i think the first time i went i had cotton army pants and <laughs> and it worked for you it worked for me and um you know we got lucky it wouldn't have worked so well if it would have been snowing right and sleet, the 2013 hunt you know, would not have been a good thing you know but so, i think you were on that first first hunt was a, a drive-in hunt am i right yeah it was so again know, that again i my take on that too is, oh yeah but uh, I guess you know to skip over a few years, I kind of if I if I went from bottom to top, I like those. My feet get hot, so I've for quite a few years I I like those. Uh, I think the ones I have are like Under Armour heat gear socks, just like real thin, slick mm-hmm. socks. Yep. I don't get blisters in them. My feet don't get too hot. They don't they don't get soggy. Is that's the thing I hate worse than anything. Yeah, is, is wet feet that are soggy and squishy. I've I've been lucky on I some of my hunting partners you know I they have I count my blessings on my feet as yeah. far as I really have never had any problems as far as the stuff that you're talking about getting too hot blistered I I can get in a pair of boots it does not take me a long time to break them in so I I know there's a, I don't feel the pain that a lot of folks do on yeah. on that so. My socks, you know, are are good ones, but you know, it probably wouldn't work for everyone. I used to use a dual sock, but I I don't anymore. Yeah, I you know, um, I think yeah. uh, th- um, Thorlos is a brand that I use. Um, I use uh, Darn Tufts. That's another yeah. one. Smart Wool. Yeah, and uh, I never, you know, and I guess it goes back into my feet getting hot and just feeling clammy i just and, and I, I i can stand those real thin socks for a lot lot a lot more days than i can yeah you know stuff that, that gets saturated and, and just nasty there's all sorts of stank that's gonna be happening, <laughs> but yep. yeah um, that's uh that and i i think this year i'm not 
depending on what the weather looks like, because it's early season, you know, on the opener, I don't think I'm going to take long johns. Yeah. And over the past few years, I've just, maybe one hunt that I, maybe that Brooks hunt, I can't even remember if I used them, but I I almost never, ever use them, end up carrying them around. And I started looking at what else I have, and and if it's a matter of, you know, staying warm to survive, like, I'll be fine. Right. And that's all mine are... I usually get into mine every night. Yeah. And I, you know, into my sleeping bag, but I never, it's, it's one of those things like if I fell in the river, everything is completely soaked. Those are in a dry bag, dry bag. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of emergency clothing. It's next to my skin that I can get, you know, somewhat stay warm. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's why they're light enough for me that, you know, that. I think they're Heli Hansons is what I'm using on, yeah. on that stuff. So yeah, because I'd been taking merino merino long johns for quite a while, but I just anytime I put them on, you know, if it's chilly in the morning, I'm, I might as well just go put my pants on and hike a little bit, and then I'm fine. Right. Um, yep. So I think I'm just going to leave those for this trip. If it was another, you know, mid September trip, I would take them. Right. But. uh that and then my pants. Um, I've been for quite a few years using the same pair of like mountain hardware pants I got on sale for like 50 bucks. They do finally because I tear the I end up tearing when my pants wear out, I tear the crotch out yeah. and I buy my pants at the same time. So within like a week, all my all my jeans have the crotches ripped out of them. Yeah, but uh, that seam on the crotch of those pants finally is popping a little bit. So I need to get that fixed. But I've, I've been impressed with those things as many years as. Lightweight too. Taken on them, they're lightweight. They dry out super fast. Yep, they're comfortable and uh, just really tough fabric. I did. I did finally get a set of the the uh, Sitka. What is it? The um, is it Timberline yeah, pants? I have a set of set, set of those too. And I wore. I took those down goat hunting, and I was pretty happy with those. Like they're yeah. they're real comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I I've gotten into the the QU and Sitka. It's probably most of the stuff I it's is a necessary no. The one thing that I do like about it is it supports the hunting community. Yeah. And uh nobody can deny that. Do you need all that stuff? You, no, you don't. But I do like I like the business model that they're supporting the hunting community. Yeah. And, you know, we we lacked that for a long time. You could get camouflage or you could get good gear. Mm-hmm. Now you can get both. And yeah. um you pay for it. There's no question about yeah. it. It is, you know. And I, I wouldn't, you know, and because I've had some rants like this in the past where, you know, if if it's going to, if it was between getting a good spotting scope Correct. and in this right. or, you it's know, priority. cheaper, yep. you know, mountain hardware brand, you know, whatever gets you in the mountains. That's right. Um, Fortunately, I can. Which one, one, and one, before I forget, it just popped into my head, um, outdoor research is actually, um. I don't know if they've like launched any campaign yet or whatever, but they they are pro hunting. Yeah, and they're wanting to start marketing to hunters. Yeah, I, they're and they make great gear too. They're gators. I've been using those yeah. for twenty something years. It's, I've been using. It's those the gators. best gator I've yeah. found for me. Yeah, and um, uh, they make a wide variety and a you know cost wise you know a lot of different models to, but I anybody that that I've. Wouldn't say turn them on to it, but 
I've been wearing gaiters for 20 years, and some of my hunting partners, they... Oh, Me wait. included. Right. You don't... I didn't used to wear gaiters. And you do now. Yeah. It's for... <laughs> I mean, you don't pull rocks in, you know, it's... You're, if you're in nasty stuff, yes. your pant legs aren't getting all Correct. muddy and tore up. Uh, yep, and I can I can hop across a creek with that little bit of extra second or two before the water will pour into your boots. Where if you're just the other way, you're just cutting in there. Mm-hmm. So I, there's a lot of reasons. Protects your boot laces from right. rocks, you know. Yeah. It, and, and aside from the toe of your boot, it protects your whole boot. Exactly. So it's cheap, you know. Because so. I, def- I can definitely tell on my boots... You know, aside from the sole, you know, that toe that's exposed has a lot more wear oh, than the, anywhere the else. Side, that's great. So, yeah, we, uh, I for sure have been, been, been doing them for, like say, I think 97 was my first year in a Region G Wyoming hunt. I seen a guy in the backcountry having them. I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. And there's been a few things that I was like, man, that looks retarded. Off the top of my head, gators and trekking poles. Yeah. I have not, for me, I just can't get used to a dual trekking pole. Guys that use them, I swear by them, but I just cannot get that rhythm down. I think yeah. that's all it is. And a lot of times I want my rifle in my hand. Yeah. That's my probably my main reason why. Um, I do use the single pole, mm-hmm. you know. Even um, just that makes a tr- huge difference. Coming downhill yeah. is, I d- don't think that there's anything better coming downhill than a long trekking pole. Yeah. And even if you have to make one in the backcountry out of a willow branch or a spruce limb, something, it is a lot, helps a lot with oh, strain yeah. coming down a hill with a heavy load. Yep. And uh, in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it really does. So. Um, but yeah, that, uh, there are, there's a lot of things over the years that I was like, you know, that, that, that looks like it would, you know, I've went that route, but like I said, 97 was yeah. my year that I started running that way and I've never, never changed. So. Yeah. And really, I mean, I guess, you know, it's easy to get in the mindset cause it's over so many years of trying different stuff and you get a system kind of worked out for what works for you. It's mm-hmm. easy to take it for granted, you know, thinking everyone should know that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't ever, I'm not one of these guys that, Oh, you don't have, you're not doing it my way. You're doing it the wrong way. Yeah. I'm not, I, whatever works. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you're more than welcome to, you know, ask questions on it to me, but yeah, I don't, it's, yeah. there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Yeah. I just know what's been working for me. Yeah. One thing I quit bringing was a, uh, a used to bring a soft shell jacket. Mm-hmm. I'd bring like, you know, like kind of synthetic t-shirt, long sleeve mm-hmm. shirt. And, uh, I think I'm trying to, trying to remember what I brought in 13. Cause that was, I think the last year I started, I was doing what did that. You, did you swap something out for, for that? Well, and I, and I, I think I had like a sweatshirt, you know, uh, either a wool synthetic blend or synthetic mm-hmm. sweatshirt and a soft shell. And then my rain gear. And I just froze too much. What the biggest change is all. And like, I'm thinking I'm going to bring this year, just, you know, synthetic t-shirt, Merino long sleeve and my, puffy jacket because I, I never yeah the, the that one that, I think that has a battery somewhere in it that i don't know about that lost parka yes. and it's uh that puffy jacket and then started 
um, Frank actually got me turned on to, to the puffy pants too. So just, I got it. I found on sale set of the, I think they're marmot or whatever, full zip puffy pants. And, uh, with those, boy, you can't do anything they're, but they're fantastic for you can't move or you're gonna just die. It's probably that's I use a very similar thing for my in my survival kit. Yeah, that a pair of puffy pants, a pair of puffy uh, booties. Yeah, um, my down jacket. You know, under a tarp, it weighs I think two and a half pounds with a little bit of ration of food yeah. that does not come out of my bag. Yeah, Unless yeah, I you were it. talking about that the last yes. time we did one of these. Yeah, it's man, it's just amazing how how much of a difference that made. You know, no, you sit down to glass, keep them in the top of the pack. We call Frank and I've been calling them our spacesuits. Pop them on, and and you're toasty. And yeah, I've had that the Lost Park in particular in a lot of nasty conditions where I'm including being completely soaking wet, and they've never gotten cold in it. Yeah. You know, it was so bad. It was one time. It was in fifteen when we were packing my sheep out. It was like thirteenth or fourteenth of September, and the weather had been decent. It was cold, but but nice weather. And that last day was about eight miles, blowing forty, snowing sideways the entire time, and you know, of course, wearing rain gear, stripped down under the rain gear so it didn't overheat too bad. And, but we got back, we got back to the four wheelers and everything's water bottles are froze. Take that off. And I'm just, of course, soaked to the bone. Mm -hmm. Um, throw the puffy pants and jacket on, put the rain gear back on by the time. And, and even that stuff was soaked too. By the time we got back to the truck, all that moisture was on the outs between, you know, stuck between the rain gear and the puffy stuff. So, I mean, it does transfer and it does transfer moisture really well, you know, or sitting in the tent, drying off. And it's, it's just like a synthetic sleeping bag. You can be soaking wet in it, crawling there. And, and, and that moisture pushes out through from your body heat. Yeah. That, um, I, yeah, that is kind of how my, um, my main deal is a good, you, you use a synthetic puffy, sh or are they down? They're both synthetic, yeah. I Again, my puffy pants are a down, but um, I think that, you know, the soft shell is probably one of the things that I I don't take as much as I used to either. Yeah. Because I've replaced it with, you know, if it's cold enough, I'm going to have to be in that, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. You, you know, and I noticed even with the soft shell, hiking, I'd get too hot. Yeah. But I was still too cold stopped. Right. Or colder than I wanted to be. All right, we're back. We had to take a little break to calibrate a scale. and That's all right. Make sure them so everything's lining up. Drop some powder. But uh, we were talking about clothing or something like mm -hmm. that, I believe. Um, Not needing your high end. To, more important just to get out in the field. Yeah. Yeah. And there, like, there's some, you know, a lot of stuff on the market that, and be you know in my position where you know I still buy a lot of it and it's like yeah no I like I couldn't in good conscience tell people you need to go buy this <laughs> right if I wouldn't buy it myself you know but like that that lost park is, is a 
jacket that I would spend every penny on that. Um, it's just been a really good one. Um, but I guess moving on from there, I usually bring, well, I always bring a, a ball cap and, uh, my, mine's sunglasses for sure. Sunglasses. I've just been so, you know, some of these early season hunts, we hope, wasn't it, what, what year was it that you never pulled out your rain jacket? 15? 14, I 14. didn't. 14, that's right. Never pulled it out. Yeah. And you hope for that, and that's awesome, but you, you do want sunglasses when, it, when, when you don't pull when it, it gets like yeah, that. You want to move sure. that mic a little closer? Oh, yeah. Just a little there. Doesn't, doesn't have to be like a aviation one. Right there? Yep, perfect. Um, sunglasses, I'll take a synthetic beanie. I, I'm... I always have two. And what, yeah. That's one of those things that I got to have two for that, uh, you know, for it me. It would be pretty easy to lose it right. sometimes. For me, a, a skull cap, beanie, whatever you want to call them, is, is one of the most important pieces of gear that I wear. And one thing I would note backtracking to the pup, make sure your puffy jacket has a hood. Right. Like, there's there's quite a few like really nice ones that I've tried, but they don't have a hood, and... When I want that puffy jacket, like when the wind's howling and it's cold, like might as well not have it if you don't have a hood. Yep. Um, yeah, yep. I'm trying to think of anything else besides rain gear, and that is a big one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yep, hoods on there, you know, wind, keep that wind down. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I. I, for one, I mean, I, I, I'm not an archery hunter, but I always use a some kind of a camouflage face mask for when I'm within 500 yards, 600 yeah. yards. Just popping up over a rock, they can yep. locate you pretty fast. Yeah, you know, white face especially, it's, you know, very, very easy. So it's one of the things that I have. And I, I just use it as another piece of clothing, yeah. you know, and more like kind of a neck gaiter. And uh, I use it, you know, on that. So and doesn't even have to be camouflage. Just something like I would say, not black. Correct. Yeah. And really, you know, if you know what you're doing, you could kill. You know, you could kill most sheep wearing <laughs> head to toe blaze orange if you want, if you needed to. But yep. um, sometimes stuff like that can give you a couple, a couple extra seconds. There you go. I would never sacrifice performance for camouflage. Mm-mm. In that type of hunt, especially especially rifle hunting, but yeah, and then um, rain gear. For a long time, I've been like hard and fast on absolutely impermeable rain gear. Right. Um, I've used that Heli Hansen Impertech for a long time. Last year, I got a set of that newer. It's Grunden's Neptune, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a lightweight, like PVC based rain gear. And you do sweat. I'm toying with the idea, depending on what the weather looks like. I do have a really good, you know, supposedly really good set of uh, Gore-Tex rain gear. I've just been always leery of that because any of those breathable fabrics are not waterproof. Nope. They're water resistant. Right. Enough rain at, you know, enough wind, it's going to leak through. But you you just got to weigh. Yeah. You know, it's all a little bit of a gamble sometimes. Now, like if I'm going to hunt Kodiak, 
me personally, I'm taking what I jokingly say real rain gear. Um, stuff that, you know, you may you may sweat in it, but you're never going to get that cold water soaking through it. Um, if you're, I'd say for someone, if they're considering like breathable rain gear, you know, you better have the top end stuff, which is super expensive. It's ridiculously expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for the average guy, I'd say, you know, including myself, it's like, man, if you've, if you've got to buy it, you know, that, that either the Heli Hansen Impertech or that Grundon's Neptune, I've been super happy with that stuff. It's rel- it's cheap compared to the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just as tough. It's a little heavier. And, you know, you're going to sweat a little bit more in it. But, I don't know, I sweat in any kind of rain gear. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Yeah, we... Uh, what have you been using lately? Um, QU, probably most um, with uh, Sitka, some Sitka stuff. And then Kodiak Hunt, rubber rain gear. Yeah. I got to have that, you know. Or with Peninsula me. Hunt or something. I have it with me down there, you know, if I fly in uh, and I'm not backpacking where I can throw on a rubber jacket, I have that. Backpacking hunts and these sheep hunts, I tend to default to those high-end camo rain gears, three-layer Gore-Tex. Yeah. Again, it's nothing is, it's just, everything's a compromise. Yeah. The best is full PVC. Yeah. But you can't do a lot of moving around. You know, the uh, Heli Hansa Impertech, I, I like that too. Um, so, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all a trade-off. It is. But, yeah, I get, and I kind of already said it, I think. You don't. It, you know, if a guy and most, you know, most guys, including myself most years and kind of this year, on a budget, you know, not going to sacrifice. And you need you need other gear, you know, yeah. like you're going to be really well off with either like Heli Hansen or that Grunden stuff. It's a lot cheaper and you can you can funnel your money to where you know more of your budget to some of the more important stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're needing to get get several new pieces of gear. But it's a big deal cuz your your life literally can depend on that rain gear. Most of the time it won't and you hope it won't. Right. You hope just in you hope that the worst case scenario is that you know the rain gear you have just allows you to hunt a little bit more than you would otherwise. Correct. And then I you know another thing that a lot of it's how they're cut and the comfort of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people overlook that and you know I definitely want one that has zippers on the side that I can open up and and bottom line Tyler how I if it is pouring down rain I get under my paratarp yeah. I don't even care if you're in full PVC. I want to get into some kind of a um some well, kind if of it, if it's improvised... if it's coming down bad, yep. you're you're not gonna Right. I can't be you're walking. wasting your time hunting right. most of the time anyway. Exactly. So I get under that and I use that and I try to dual purpose a lot of my gear where my paratarp is my emergency shelter. Yeah. So I'm gonna have it with me. It's also my if it's pouring down rain real quick, a, a squall comes through, I set it up. You know, I don't take specific things for that. I, I, I like dual purpose items. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, 
Yeah, the more thing you know, and that's just kind of common sense. It, right. The more things you can use for you know, it cuts down on the weight you have yep, to carry. Exactly. So, I use honestly my rain jacket is my windbreaker. Yeah, more than anything. I mean, I do. And Gore-Tex does a good job at windbreaking. Yeah, I mean, there's just like PVC rubber gear does too. That's probably where I use you know most of my rain gear is wind stopping. Yeah, on a ridge line, sitting in that wind, you know, it helps out. If it's pouring down rain or pouring down snow, I'm probably under my paratarp. Yeah, I I, I am so. Yeah. But, you know, and but it is important, well, and you're carrying it with you. You know, you don't ever want to be, you want to have something. If you're out away from camp and don't have some sort of emergency shelter, even if it's just, you know, not like the $2 Walmart ones, right. but a decent space blanket that's fairly tough yep. that you can rig up and get under. Um, even a Because sometimes you will be out away from camp and get caught in some nasty, yep. some and, nasty stuff. And, you know, one thing that you can use is, we used to laugh about it with your, you know, the visqueen and a wool blanket. Yeah. That's what dudes used to do. Yeah, there was, yeah, one particular old timer that um, my uncles knew. The guy, just tougher than nails, he'd take, if I remember right, well, his pack peanut. weighed like 15 pounds, he'd take a jar of peanut butter and a ba- bag of dried apricots. They said his saying was, if you had to ship more than twice in a 10-day hunt, you brought too much food. <laughs> and then... Visqueen and... Visque- he brought a piece of visqueen and a wool blanket to roll up in at night. Wool clothes, no rain gear, nothing. And the dude had a closet full of rams over 40 inches. Says something there, you know, so... My uncle actually went... One of my uncles went sheep hunting with him one time and said the guy <laughs> had... He couldn't keep up with him, and my uncle was in his 20s. He yeah. said he'd get up to where he'd stopped, and there'd be four or five cigarette butts laying on the ground. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> but uh, Yeah, so uh, back to the visqueen thing, though. It's I've Before I had my paratarp, I would have a small, you know, rolled up. It, you never know, yep. you know, and that stuff will... Just keeping a little bit of rain and nasty weather off you is saves so much. You yeah, know, trying to you know your body trying to dry yourself out. So, you know, it's worked for me in the past. I don't you know always do it, but um, I try to always have that with me. Yeah, Not every you know. And you and I have both been sheep hunting enough to. I mean, there's always that hundred year storm or whatever. But yeah, it's always a possibility, and you know that. But, you know, we've seen about as wide a range as you could normally ever expect. So I don't think it, I've seen the no uh, no rain gear. The no rain gear? You haven't had one of those no, hunts? No, never. Not a sheep hunt. Last um, last year, well, it was started raining, you know, started raining after we shot our sheep. Mm-hmm. So, spent about half a day hiking in rain gear, and then it'd clear up in the afternoon, but... Yeah, last year was a good one. I think we, we, the ten, first two days of the season, we knocked two down and managed to get out before it got real nasty. But uh, yeah, I don't ever, don't ever hold much hope that the rain gear is not coming out of the pack at all. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've uh, never had that one experience. So 
an Alaska hunt I don't think I ever have. But yeah, and uh, and I guess back on rifles, I kind of got you turned on to bipods, if I remember oh, right. Oh, for sure. I uh, never I never used them before. I'd always shoot off my pack. And that's the typical sheep hunter. Correct. Just going to shoot off my pack. And it's it worked a long time, but 2011. I think was my think, year that you we we kind of went that route. And yeah, I didn't have one. Yeah, in 2012, I used it for the first time and have never went back. Because I think I had shot mine and gave you my bipod. That's right. And I think more. I'd have to do some serious thinking to remember the ones I shot off a bipod. But the the majority of them I have. There's one a couple of years ago that had the bipod on, but I. Ended up having to shoot off a rock. Right. But having a, bi- a a bipod on the rifle so many times, it just makes you that much more sure. Correct. For sure. And, uh, and uh, anything you can do to make your shot that much more sure. Like the ram I killed last year was at 465, and I would have been a lot more leery about that if I was shooting off my backpack. And there's more movement, you know, trying to position a backpack in that particular situation. But I was able to set that thing up and, um, what's the term? I'm load that bipod, like push your weight into that bipod, mm-hmm. and that thing was. I mean, there was no question that ram was dead. But a, a one thing that a lot of people overlook is your point of impact can definitely change with that bipod on there. Mine, I got a couple of my rifles half MOA change with the Harris. Yes. Yeah, and it's funny because they that's they claim no. Point of impact. Change. I don't see how any company could. I mean, yeah. one gun to the next. Because you're you're putting stress on the the stock, exactly. so you definitely want to shoot. Want to shoot your rifle the way and practice yep. extensively the way you're going right. to hunt with it. Um, <coughs> at least, at the least, you know where it's hitting at. Yeah, and when, when and I get I, to the strip, you know, I always have a steel target with me, and um, I set it out at 200 yards or my zero, and I shoot steel at the you know yep i'm not packing that around obviously in the back country and but it's, well we used to take like a cereal box or <laughs> box right. of chip yep whatever we had but this one you know i can see it 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 just it's how i do it now yep and, and uh and i then i for years have, have carried a harris around and the way i did it because it is extra weight but it's worth it to me and i'll pop it on my rifle when we're kind of getting into the later stages of a stock or I leave mine on because of, uh, setting your rifle, setting down. my rifle down. I, yeah. I, they I, are nice for that. I've, uh, last year I got one of those, um, it's a Spartan precision. Oh yeah. The, uh, what's the model? They Is call it the one with a bipod that has the magnet? The, in it? Yeah. The javelin there. I think it's a javelin bipod. Mm hmm. And the thing weighs, I can't remember what it weighs, but it's like less than half of what my Harris weighs. And it has a uh, magnetic fitting that you screw into your uh, your sling, st- sling stud mm-hmm. in your rifle. And it does have a, if you want to carry a sling, I don't, but uh, it does have a little sling stud hole in yep. that fitting. But the bipod just pops right into that magnetic fitting and it's on the rifle. Right. And that's what I'm going to take this year. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm installing one of those on a buddy of mine's rifle here tomorrow morning. Just epoxying it in, you know, making sure it looks nice. And 
it's lined up um, in the center line of the stock and uh, you know so he has that same one yeah and yeah I've I you know I haven't taken it hunting but I've been super happy shooting with it yeah yeah that's uh, it was light as ever I know that so, so, but yeah, a lot of, you know, and a lot of guys say, oh, I just don't want the weight. Well, I don't know. I, for me personally, I think it's well worth it. Oh, I do too. My brother doesn't use them, but you know, again, we all. Well, your brother gets to shoot more if he <laughs> makes a questionable first shot. Yeah. So he says go. he likes to hear the gun go off. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or I only had to shoot him once <laughs> or I only got to shoot him once. Right. But, uh. Yeah, and I guess on from there, um, what kind of backpack have you been using lately? It's been a few years since Steve and I have hunted together. Well, I was using I was using a Barney's, one of their lightweight ones, and I still still use that. But uh, a Stone Glacier is what I've gone to for yeah for sheep hunting, mm -hmm. mule deer hunting, those where I can pretty much get him into a backpack and get out moose hunting it's for sure a barney's yeah i have that for sure with me brown bear hunt barney's yeah i just think that a a non-standard load and when i say that the, my definition of a non-standard load is quarters meat that is like a big ball ball of lead in the bottom of the pack yeah. i if it's a lot of it i don't I like a Barney's. It sets it up higher. It's more comfortable for me. Um, but my my pack is a is a Stone Glacier, is what I've been using. Yeah, I use their R three. Uh, I think it's uh, the thirty three hundred with a with their optional lid that brings it to like forty one, forty two. Yeah, which that's it was pretty a small. Perfect three day. Yeah, solo hunt. And that's my third sheep hunt last year. I did three different sheep hunts. I did opening day for, you know, I was actually in there on the fourth. And uh, we came out, you know, there was just the rams, what we were looking for were just not in there. So then I did a mid-season hunt. And then I did a late-season hunt. And uh, it was a perfect three-day. I, You know, yeah. I, I found my ram the very first day out. Yeah. So I ended up shooting him. That's when I got in that big snowstorm that mm -hmm. night. But um, so I went to the sheep show this year. Went and seen the guys over at the booth there at uh, the um, Stone Glacier booth. Ended up getting a fifty nine hundred. And um, in fact, I just bought the sixty nine hundred. Yeah. So I've got three different ones. And yeah. I really like all of them. I just I just got the new one today. Yeah, I uh, have been well been using. Was Kafaru backpacks for quite a few years now. Cause up till then, I was uh, the old Cabela's frame pack, and that thing worked. I packed five Rams out with it. Yeah. Um, but I beat the snot out of it, and it was heavy. And I've kind of gone through, and um, Kafaru start, first started doing the timber lines. It was kind of it was an internal frame, mm -hmm. and that was you know way more comfortable and. Since you know the the past few years, I've been using that uh, that EMR with their duplex frame. Yeah, and it's been a really good backpack. And they don't make that one anymore, but I think it's the Reckoning that kind of replaced that one. But a uh, huge backpack, and have 
easily been able to carry my camp and a whole sheep, which is more weight than I probably should be carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, this year I got a, I got one of the, uh, their new muskeg seven, the muskeg large bag with their light duplex frame. And, uh, the bag itself, I think is like 7,000 and it's got, I put a couple big pouches on the back and the guide lid. So looking at it, I'm going to have plenty of room and, no, I'm just initial stuff. I mean, the the hot muffler on the UPS truck evaluation. I think it's going to be a really good pack. Um, Is uh, far as comfort wise, do you do you like those uh, Kafaru? Because I I know I, their gear is awesome. I really like them uh, for comfort wise. I haven't played with the Stone Glaciers much, um, and I think a lot of that is another one of those things that boils down to personal fit and taste. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of good stuff about them, but I have no complaints on on how those kafarus carry heavy heavy loads right and you know all the packs of mine from them that i've used have been really tough i know the muskeg it's a waterproof fabric i don't think it's quite as tough as that heavy cordura but then again some of the other ones but you lo- i think it'll be just fine a little bit i mean there's always some you know compromises you got to do on that so um you know, getting a, it's not as tough, right, but it is lowering the weight on it. Adds me one more day of food in there. Yeah. So, um, no, I've, I, and I, and the guys at both those companies are really good in it for far as, you know, hardcore backpack hunting. Yeah. Um, sheep hunting, especially the Stone Glacier guys are really, I, I, I like to support that American owned business. Everything is made here, so, and I believe Kafaru is the same way. Yeah, so. I think they are. I think they're very compliant, you know, for military stuff. So they do do a lot of military orders. Yeah, I mean, like I say, their paratarps, I absolutely love. Well, you've been using those since oh, before, man. since before I knew what Kafaru was. Right, I started using that uh, in ninety two thousand six. Was my first year that I used a paratarp. Yeah, and then it was, I think, 2009, the first time we hunted together. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, that was my first year I used one, and I've it's been in my backpack ever since. Now, some form of it. I, a Hilleberg, I, last year, my, 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 uh, emergency shelter was a Hilleberg, but it was the same principle. Yeah. You know, I just, that's just what I happen to have, because I have the, I have the super tarp. Mm-hmm. And you turned me on to the super tarp, and, yeah. And I was using that for a, you know, camp. Uh, also, I kept it with me. But yeah, for your survival kit, you use a pair of hooch. A pair of hooch is what I have right yeah. now because they're quite a bit smaller than a super tarp. The, correct. You can cram two guys in. seventeen ounces for the super tarp. I think. Don't yeah. quote me on it, but two guys can get under there comfortably. Yeah. The we, paratarp. I remember we did it. Oh yeah, the, the, it was the night I shot the one I had missed and had a mm-hmm. high speed come apart a couple of days before. Spent the night. Uh, well, I shot him. What was it? It must have been eleven thirty, almost midnight when I shot him. Mm-hmm. And we went over and he was pretty close to where we were posted up. So I and it was cold, so I just yanked the guts out. And uh, me and Gary came back over and we spent the night. <laughs> I still remember the wind whistling through. <laughs> under that thing but yep. uh you can do it no for sure for sure but yeah I'm, I'm i really like that super tarp too you can like goat hunting this year you know being kodiak i brought a pretty heavy duty tent and then 
you know, use that super tarp to stash all our gear and stuff under and as a backup in case something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, uh, you know, one of those things I try to always, you know, make sure I have. And this year, guiding, I'm going to, obviously, you got to, you know, your clients with you and you got to, you know, look out for them too, which is all part of it. Yeah. And I, the super tarp's the one that I'll have. Yeah. That's two people can get under there. Yeah. Well, so. we brown bear hunting have even set that thing, you know, set those things up to sit under in glass for correct hours pour, and hours. Pouring down rain or wind, yeah. you know, so that, that makes it nice, I think. So, um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, there's just been a few things over the years that my gear list has changed, but for the most part, the main things that I have are all the same, you know, uh, the style of it. Yeah. You know, I have not my sleeping bag, my tents, the, the, the same type of a style, you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah, a few and it's here and there, but. Yeah. And I never have kept like a written down, some guys, you know, you were, do you still keep like written typed out lists of. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been a little more on the wing it side. I'll like go through in my mind as I'm getting ready to load up, yep. you know, everything I have to do throughout a day, you know, and just go through all different scenarios to remember what I might need. I'd be better off if I just sat down and wrote everything down, obviously. Yeah, I, I use, I've been using, I'm list driven anyway. So, and I just, that's just easier for me. Yeah. To, but, uh, to do it that way. Right? I don't know, even remember, can't even remember where I was going with that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> But that's me. Um, but yeah, like I like what I was going to say is I like tweaking little things like this year, early season, probably if the weather's looking like stays looking like it is temperature wise, I'm probably going to take that older Kefaru slick bag, mm-hmm. the one that's really more of like a 30 degree bag. Right. And thinking that even if it did get real cold, I got my puffy stuff. Yep, dual purpose. Yeah, so uh, and that will save me a little bit of weight because the the new bags they are warmer, but they're a little bit bulkier and heavier. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, but yeah, there's. It seems like it, ne- it never ends. Right. Like I never have everything figured out. There's always a new doodad. Like you turned me on to the those uh, Thermarest Neos. Oh yeah, my I'm, and I and I talk to some of these clients I'll be guiding and explained some of the stuff that I do and mm-hmm. I I mean the human body needs a good night's sleep. Yeah. I mean we you know that's where we recover at night. And if you're rolling around and not comfortable, it is by sacrificing that weight, I think it you're doing yourself a disservice on that. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I I, I don't know, when I was younger I seemed to sleep fine on just a foam you know, foam bedroll of one type or another, Thermarest or whatever. But as I've gotten a little older, man, I just do not sleep on the ground near as well as I used to. And uh, that changed it for me when I, you know, when I bought one of those and took it around. Of course, my my initial skepticism is, oh, I'm going to punch a hole in this thing the first night, and I have yet to and have slept on some pretty stuff that punched holes in the tent. Right. Yeah, I use a closed cell mattress on mine in addition yeah so and part of that is i put that closed cell underneath my 
your tent underneath my tent yeah. where all my weight is and it you know that helps remember out. the year when them ground squirrels ate gary's <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah those are some funny times to hear some of those tell you, your brothers had more issues with animals eating his stuff and his meat on hunts oh yeah i don't that, think he that brought we've out. both been on yep but <laughs> to be fair he seems to sh- always sh- shoot early early right and i don't i don't think he brought out a sheep for at least two years. Yeah, both those years, grizzly bears yep, came stole in it all. right out of camp at night. Yep. And I, I know he said he weren't getting this cape because he brought it right into his tent. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, hey, they ain't getting this one this year because they got it the year before. And he brought it right in there with him. So he was ready to go down on a fight yeah. on that. <laughs> and sometimes you feel that way, you know. They, yep. And you work hard for that stuff. Yep. You know, and, bowl, you know, and in the meat included. Yep. You work harder for the meat than it. You're you're really playing with fire if you're going to sleep yeah. on the meat at night. Yeah, and I, I won't do it. No, <laughs> but you know, I I work on my cape and in there under the tent under the you know a tarp you know so. Well, I'll tell you if I shoot a shoot a forty inch or bigger ram this year, he's come. The horns are in the tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's it. But uh Yeah, that'll be a that'll be an interesting hunt. I wish I could join you on that one. I really do. I just I've made commitments, you know, prior to the to the drawings this year and for a buddy of mine needed a was short on a guide and wanted somebody he could trust and yep. not have to worry about. I guess he'd had some issues with some previous guides and I told him, Yeah, sure. And then you drew a permit. My girlfriend drew a permit. I mean, it was, I didn't draw a permit. Yeah. But, <laughs> but guys that, you know, I would really have liked to have gone into the toke area and uh, do that hunt. Yeah. It's, uh, and I mean, that's just your, the classic problem is most of the reliable people, if not all of them already have plans. <laughs> and, and it's tough to get, you know, it's even tough for me to, I was, you know, was going to go with Frank and do kind of like we did when he drew the Delta. Yeah. But I just flat out can't go on two sheep hunts this year. Yeah. So he's he's going to be on his own, and it looks like I'm going to be on my own. Yeah, which I is, would. Which is not, it's not ideal for a number of reasons. Um, but you see but more I'll game. I'll be fine, yeah. I, I am convinced solo hunters see more game. Even though there's less eyes looking, I think that there is less presence, human presence mm-hmm. for animals too. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, we've done that on stocks a lot. Sheep, yep. goats, bears, where... To stay... You know, one, you know, you spot or whatever, one guy will, will hang back and the other one yeah. goes At up there. At that point, it's, just, it's... There's no reason to have to put two people, you know, up there. And some people do it and they like that and that's great. But, you know, the stock is... That comes down to... There's just too much going on yeah so now inexperienced hunters that's a different story you know you want to be right there with them yeah but in the legalities in the state of alaska i think you have to be within 100 yards of your client so or your next to kin or your next to kin that right so which i get it they they wanted to put a quantifiable distance in there Mm because you know i know people were you know abusing that yeah i mean but the way, you know, if it's worded vaguely is yeah. accompanied by, well, 
I'm in you the know, camp. Your your seventy year old uncle could be <laughs> sitting at the airstrip while right. you're off sheep hunting. Right. So yeah, that's uh and that's okay though, and and that works out. But hundred yards is a you know, I would want if I was paying for a guide, I'd want them back. Right. Hang back yeah. here. I can deal yeah. with this. You've already said this is a legal animal. I'm going to go up and do that. Yeah. You know, especially an archery. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't any closer than that because then that would be really putting impeding, you know, a progress of a hunt on that. But that's okay. That's, uh, um, I think, a good good setup for as far as that goes. Yeah. But And I, I guess... Oh, no, I, th- I I really think a solo hunt is, I'd love to have a solo tag, but, you know, you always want somebody back there with you just just at nighttime. Or, the company, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, just a BS. Because, you know, I've done a couple. One, you know, one I don't really count because it was only like three days. But the other one, it was a very cool experience. Is that 2010? That was 2010. Yeah. And uh, it's just a different you know, yeah, there can be two of you there and you're all about business, but it's a different level of that when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's kind of cool. It does get a little lonely when you, <laughs> you zip up the tent at night. Yeah. If you're, if you're the type of person that gets lonely easy, don't go on a 10, 14 day sheep hunt by yourself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I guess, you know, we talking about Gary's stuff, um, had been get, getting some questions about, meat care and trophy care in the field, which is a very important, mm-hmm. huge deal, really. Um, one of the questions I got recently was um, specifically sheep capes. And the guy, I think, had been told a couple different things. And my basic procedure, I guess, if you want to call it that, is, you know, you get a you get a sheep down obviously right then and there you know if if it's close enough to be convenient to leave the meat on the bone it's nice to do that you end up getting more out of it mm-hmm. and you don't it doesn't take as much time to debone it if it's a long ways you know if you're going to debone it probably debone it right there and get it over with um, but you know you get your cape and your meat and get everything back to camp and then what I like to do because. I mean, a white animal especially, and she, I'll back up here in a second, but you're going to get some blood on the cape. Right. Like even, you know, even a shot that they don't bleed in the process of of horsing them around on the mountain and skinning them, you're going to get some blood on the cape and that sheep hair is hollow. And so you do not want, if you can avoid it at all, you don't want blood to dry in the hair. Because it, it dries inside those hair follicles, and you're going to have a really tough stain. You know, if if they you want a, a bleached cape, when it comes back, they're going to have to bleach the heck out of that spot to get it. And sometimes they can't get it all out. Right. And then bleached capes don't last anywhere near as long. You know, yeah. over the years, they, you know. I, my 13 rams, I've not done one bleached one yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, I, I... I always try to get water on them as fast as I can. Yeah, um, That's fine. And so, which, you know, what I have done a lot, more often than not, is when I get back to camp, you know, usually have some water around. If there's a cold, you know, I wouldn't dump them in a pothole or nothing, but if there's a cold creek right there, I'll take that thing skin side down and weigh it down with rocks right in the creek. 
no bag or nothing and just make sure it's completely submerged and they'll keep in a cold creek like that for days oh yeah i mean quite a few days because yeah. that that water's cold enough that it inhibits it's the in bacterial the 30, growth. 30s yeah you know i we're not talking 40 degree creeks we're talking it is you keep your hands in it they they come out hurting yeah and that's most of those creeks up in the mountains yeah um, i do the same and uh, you know some taxidermists will taxidermists will shy at that they don't necessarily think that's a good idea but it's worked for me um well it is it's a you know a calculated risk because you know what they tell you about your meat and stuff and in the aspect of uh of losing a cape or having it's all decomposition you know mm-hmm. when your meat's going bad it's decomposition if your cape starts slipping it's because of decomposition and you know ideally dry and cool but a i have this blood that i want want to get Off. out of there yep. and so you're going to wash it out but typically the that creek is the coolest best spot to keep that thing mm-hmm. Until I'm ready to go, and just the the flowing of the water and stuff will it washes all that blood out. Yep. And then when it's time to go, pull it out and wring it out as best I can, and and fold it up skin to skin, roll it up, and put it in the pack, and it stays cold. You know, you don't pull that thing out of the creek and set it on the bushes to dr- you know dry in the sun. Right. That's a that's you know, just a sun in general just can be so bad on them. Yeah. I if I I do you know. To my 2015 ram mm-hmm. had a lot of blood on him. Got him down, same thing, right into the creek he went. And I think we got back to camp at like one in the morning. So we submerged him underwater, both our rams underwater, and uh, got up the next morning at seven o'clock, mm-hmm. eight o'clock. Um, got the rest of our camp up up, up high. So we pulled all of the uh, the the ram uh, cape out. Yeah. Horns and all. I didn't, cause I didn't take him off the horns that night mm-hmm. and took all of our meat down to um, our transportation, but we took our rams out. But big thing was leave them in the shade. And when you're next to a Creek, you know, a flowing Creek, just the temperature change just in that. Yeah, it's the, four the or five degrees yeah. right there. Important thing though. I kept him out of the sun he dried out and was he lost a lot of weight, water weight just yeah. in those few hours it took us to get to transportation and back. Yeah, and uh, you just plan ahead. That's all that yeah. is there. It's just and I'd say if because they're you know like last year we weren't in a situation where we could put them in a creek. So what I did we did you know I did my best with to wet the hair side and wash out what blood I could and then wet the hair that was bloody. And what I'll do, you know, especially if during the day it's warming up, but at night it's usually nice and cool, is I'll spread them out on a rock or on the rocks, you know, skin side down because I don't want that skin to dry out. Mm-mm. But uh, spread them out and they'll cool, it'll cool down at night. And then get up early and roll that thing back up skin to skin and keep it, you know, if you're staying there for a while, either in a, a spot that will be shady all day or you know what we were doing is pulling back some of these big loose rocks and sticking them in a hole in there to keep them out of the sun right and kind of the same thing with meat you know if it's real hot there's been i think in 14 we had to uh 
Frank's sheep because he got his first, and we packed it back to our little spike camp and just, you know, trash bag and dry bag all the meat and put it in the river. Yep. You know, where it's not, that meat's not getting saturated with water, but it keeps it nice and cool. And then, uh, but most of the time, I, I just absolutely try to keep the meat out of the water if you can, but kind of the same tricks. Um, I usually have a little bit oversized meat bags, so at night... I'll kind of spread that meat bag out on the rock and spread those chunks of meat apart because a lot of times when you throw them in your backpack, they're still hot. Oh, yeah. You know, they haven't fully cooled. And let them cool, you know, put them back together and, and bury, you know, quote-unquote bury them the next day, um, keep them out of the sun. And Do you use any kind of uh, inhibitor for... I haven't for quite a while. I know some of those trips we use that uh, Game Saver. Mm-hmm kind of citrus based i think i always Um, have it in my backpack and it's it's nice especially if you can leave them on the bone because you get it it does make a crust yep but uh you know and you end up losing a lot more to trimming if you have to do a bunch of individual deboned pieces but it, it it can't if it's hot and you can't keep it as cool as you would like to it can save you for sure um yeah, we uh, I use that quite a bit. I have, it's always in my backpack. Um, so, one thing I would I would jump in and say before I forget again is I do not bring salt. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't either. I uh, and I've I've over you know eleven sheep so far. I've never had an issue not bringing salt. And I think I think if you're on going to be in the mountains for thirty days. Different story. Different story, but the important, and, and if you want to bring salt and salt your cape, that's fine. And it's, same with a bear hide or a moose hide, but... People tend to think it's a savior, and it really, you got to make sure, you have to do the yeah, same. If yeah, if it's not done correctly, you will do more damage than good. Yep. Um, Most taxidermists will tell you they don't like their, the capes. Mine definitely does. Oh, yeah. It's uh, because... Everything has to be that that hide basically has to be fully prepped, right? Um, and ready to ready to, you know, just I say ready to salt. That's what we're talking about. But you have to turn the lips, turn and flesh the lips, um, flesh and and turn the eyelids, the ears. All that stuff has to be done and flesh the hide. It has to be done adequately and correctly. Now, if you had to, you could do it. You could do all that with a knife if you know what you're doing in the field and be ready to salt. <clears throat> but those capes are not easy to come by. Mm-mm. And I myself, unless, you know, it's getting dangerous, well, I don't bring salt anyway, but would much rather, because I'm fully capable of, of prepping that thing, yeah. would much rather do it at my house, then, you know, on the flesh and beam than trying to whittle away and make, a bunch of extra dings, especially on, you know, on a lot of animals. But since we're talking sheep, um, it's easy to ding, ding the skin while you're turning the lips and, and that like lower jaw and a lot of that facial skin is really, has really fine, yep. thin hair. And it's really tough to hide, to hide the dings. Yeah, in you it. look right. I mean, whenever you're looking at a piece of taxidermy, you're looking right at eyes, mouth. I mean, that's what you draw your eyes to. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to ding holes, ding it back in the long hair. Yep. But armpits, you know, even on a flesh and beam, like brisket and armpits and some of that, you know, really short hair stuff, 
is uh is really tough to um I'll say it's really easy to damage and really tough to fix. Right. So unless you're really comfortable with doing that, you know, I think you're going to be just totally fine. Yeah, I again, I I've and never... uh, you know we're talking we're in Alaska we're not hunting antelope where it's ninety degrees. Correct. Um, and that's that's a big difference there, you know, on that. So, but I. But what and what I guess getting into if you do, you know, rip the cape off off a sheep and salt the whole thing what that will do is it will harden up that you know meat whatever meat membranes and fat is on the the skin itself making it it a keeps the salt from penetrating into the skin and preserving it because that's the long term it it dries that skin out but short term it preserves it and keeps and stops that decomposition well if you're you know you have patches of meat or right. or mem in you know too much membrane or fat where that salt can't adequately get to it. That new that you that, do good in that area. That hair will that hair will be gone. And uh, on the faces, you know, if you don't turn all that stuff, the salt will not penetrate, and you're not going to have any. You know, the the pigment and and hair is going to slip off. And you split you need to split the nose too to prep it. I forgot that, but your pigment will slip off the nose and the lips, and you're probably going to lose some facial hair, and your cape's going to be toast. Right. Yeah, that's... and ears, and once it's salted, even if even if you were able to keep it cool enough to where that stuff won't start slipping, once you put salt on it, it hardens all that stuff up, making it extremely difficult at best to to properly turn lips and ears and stuff like that. And I've I've seen it where guys have salted stuff and it's not done all the way, right. and you can only do what you can do, and and a lot of times it results in loss loss of cape yes. and you work so so hard for that stuff that you just want to do anything you can to avoid it that is for sure but anyway um i guess we'll probably wrap this one up okay it's uh tough to get no, i just want to talk sheep hunting <laughs> but uh yeah hopefully hopefully that's been a little bit of useful information i mean steve's got even more sheep hunting experience than i do so not many more years. You know, I mean, it's just a lot of the little things that we don't think of. Hopefully, I've been able to answer some questions that I've gotten to. Um, yeah, it's uh, that one. You know, the, one of the most important is your meat care and your trophy care. Yep. Because yep. those are memories, you know. I go in my house there. They're on my wall. And, you know, it a good trophy taxidermy work begins in the field oh absolutely a good dinner begins in the field yeah you can you know yeah really and and you know i a lot of times put more emphasis on the taxidermy care than the meat care not that that's more important and you want to do everything you absolutely can to, to make sure your meat doesn't go bad but um i think i think that the cape your cape care is every bit as important because that meat's only going to last so long, and the only thing, you know, you really have to to remember is that mount for me. Correct. I mean, that's, I mean, every one I've got, it's right. looking that's... at it, you remember all that stuff, and uh, and also, I think, you know, it 
shows how much that animal means to you by by taking care of all that stuff yeah. properly. Yeah, you can people can debate what's more important and that's it's honestly up to each person. Yeah. I am I going to do everything I legally have to for the meat? Of course I am. Yeah. I feel that that memory and honoring that animal on my wall is more important. That's my opinion only. Yeah. But I still bring all the meat out. It's still part of, you know, my year. Yeah, it's part of the whole it is. picture, you know. But 20 years from now, I'm not going to remember the the back straps. The, the, I'm not. The 40 pounds of, of once it's packaged Correct. meat. I'm not. Uh, I am going to want to, you know. So in meat care, I really think that that is a lot. I think that's a, a more self-explanatory yeah. than Cape uh, Trophy Care. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. I mean, cool it down, get it off the hot, get the hide yeah. off it, cool it off, keep it dry as much as possible. If it's dirty, clean it off immediately. But mm-hmm. the big thing is just keeping it dry afterwards. Yeah. You know, you don't. I feel that that is you know more of self-explanatory. Hunters, I think, can wrap their heads around that yeah. more than they can the other. And the other takes skill, experience to make sure that that's right. And you can mess things up right from the get from, from a small little thing on, on you know. Yep. Just so. leaving your leaving your cape in the sun for a few hours can completely Wreck it, yeah. gone. Yeah, I mean, I, you, tr- I, would, I guess if I would say what I would tell people to do is just treat your cape the same with the same attention that you treat your meat. It doesn't right. mean it doesn't mean you have to neglect your meat. Right. Just Yep, exactly. You know. I've I've heard it, you know, my taxidermist, really good one. I, I down in down in Idaho, I use and been using him for years. He he couldn't tell me how many capes are ruined where guys will roll them up on a quick ATV ride that isn't very far out of the mountains. They hike their stuff out, roll it up, and it's just above the exhaust. Oh. And it's not very long. Yeah. And that, you know, oh, it's, it it's still it. cold out, but that little bit of heat transfer, gone. Yep. And in that area. In the same way, like I learned real fast, you know, it's the same thing as thawing, throwing a Martin, a frozen Martin on a radiant floor heat, you know, on a sl- concrete slab with radiant heat. Yep. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't take very long at all and you pick that thing up and hair's falling then that yep. critter's ruined so yep. yeah stuff like that's all you always want to be conscientious of it but anyway we really will wrap this up but uh, okay. thanks everybody for listening and good Thank catching you. up with you steve and uh yeah, thanks for having me and uh we'll stay in touch obviously yeah through all this and uh yeah if you guys have any other uh, comments or questions you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. thank you